Hey, everybody, welcome to the Joyful Courage Podcast, a place for information and inspiration on the conscious parenting journey. I am Casey O'Rourke, positive discipline trainer, parent coach, and honored to be your guide in the work of showing up as your best for yourself and your family. If you feel as though parenting is one long personal growth and development workshop, you have come to the right place. The conversations you will hear on this podcast are all intended to offer you tools for moving forward, for expanding your lens, for shifting your narrative to one of possibility, connection, and empowerment. You can be the parent you want to be. We are influencing the world with how we raise our children. When we bring deep listening, acceptance, and courage to our relationships, we are doing our part to evoke it in the world. I am thrilled to partner with you on this path. I hope you enjoy the show. Hey, listeners, welcome back to another episode of Joyful Courage. I'm really excited to share my guest with you this week. My guest is Julie Miller. Julie is on a mission to live a delicious life and bring joy back to the family dinner table. Julie is a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and a certified positive discipline parent educator, yay, who holds a master's degree in human nutrition from Bastyr University, which if you don't know what Bastyr University is, you should Google that because it's this amazing place for learning and growing in a really holistic way. She has over 16 years experience sharing food and nutrition philosophy with diverse communities throughout the Seattle area. And today she's going to share those food and nutrition philosophies with us. Hi, Julie. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Casey. Thank you for having me. You are welcome. Will you fill in the gaps and share a little bit more about your journey of doing what you do? Absolutely. Thank you, Casey. Um, I got into nutrition for personal reasons, as many of us do. And what I realized was that when you don't have access to really good food, that your health suffers. And so I was hooked on learning more why and how does food influence our body. So I started studying nutrition and I then got my um, graduate degree and went on to become a registered dietitian nutritionist. And then I worked in a variety of community settings, including working with adults and working in pediatrics. And ultimately, I ended up working in public health. And that was a lovely career. And then I took a break from that and had my own children. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I had my own children, I discovered positive discipline. And I also realized a couple of other pieces when I stopped working and started raising my kids. I started realizing that my nutrition work at public health had primarily been parenting work. And I just didn't know it at the time because I wasn't a parent. Um, I also realized when I became a parent that parenting is super judgmental. I, I had no idea how much people I felt were watching me and how I was even inadvertently judging other people for the choices they were making. Mm -hmm. And this is really fierce around food. Mm -hmm. You know, people will look at each other at the potluck. I can't believe she brought that. Or, you know, you go to the doctor and your child is weighed. And if they're off the grid, you feel judged as a parent. Like, oh, I've done something wrong. Um, 
you know, and then we get messages about like, oh, if you feed your child that much milk, you're a good mom. Mm -hmm. And if your child eats in the car, they're a bad mom. Mm -hmm. And so then I started thinking, gosh, we really get wrapped up in as caregivers in this minutia of kind of what we're feeding our kids and how many servings of this and that, and are we getting enough calcium and we're afraid our kids are going to get cancer and diabetes. And we're really missing the positive discipline piece, which is the relationship and the connection. And so I took my experience working in public health and with families and parenting around nutrition and my perspectives on parenting through positive discipline and kind of made a big sandwich. Mm -hmm. Took that nutrition knowledge and the positive discipline piece and I started my own company. It's called The Harmonious Table. And what I do is I offer workshops uh, for parenting groups and preschool classes and school groups. And I specialize in helping families find their own positive feeding dynamic so that parenting around food isn't a chore, but it's like this nourishing experience for everyone. And, uh, you know, the constant demand to prepare food and serve food gets really tiring. Yeah. <laughs> tricky because we're doing it, you know, for young kids, you're feeding them, you know, four to six times a day Mm -hmm. and, and it's always on your mind. So I really emphasize in my workshop, how do we reduce the drama and the burden of eating and how do we ensure that children are getting the nutrients they need to grow and develop? And how are we as parents helping them become eaters for a lifetime? We want them to eat well now and as they grow into adults. So that's my, my thing. That's what I do. I'm really glad that you do that. And of course, as I listen to you, I can't help but reflect on what's currently alive in my parenting practice. And, um, but before, before I share there around food, (laughs) what are some of the common complaints that you get from parent, the parents that you work with? What are some of, and I'm guessing they're probably the same things that I hear, but what do you typically hear that are the biggest challenges for parents? Uh, yeah, definitely. The I would say the the biggest complaint is kids saying, I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Parents will say, you know, I've prepared this meal. And before the child's even tried something, I don't like it. I don't eat that. I don't want it. So that's a huge complaint. And that kind of segues often into the second biggest complaint, which is picky eating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and picky eating, I think... Really, parents are sharing a deeper story. So they're saying, you know, my child won't eat this food group. You know, my child won't eat meat or my Mm -hmm. child won't eat vegetables. Or on the contrary, they may be defining their picky eater as, you know, my child only eats, you know, carbohydrate rich foods or Mm -hmm. my child only does this. Um, You know, so picky eating and my child doesn't like it. And then Casey, the biggest piece that comes up when we dive into this is that parental fatigue piece. Mm -hmm. Parents are tired. They don't want to cook anymore, um, but they also want to give their kids a really wholesome home-cooked food that nourishes their body. So Mm -hmm. it's it's a delicate balance there. Um, I get it. I get it. Four o'clock rolls around and I'm like, gosh darn it. People are going to want to eat. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> and then people are going to want to eat. And then we feel this undue like pressure, like, oh, now I better log into Pinterest and find out what the latest recipe is or how oh, to I don't make do my that. food look appealing. <laughs> I don't do that, but I definitely but, don't, you know, sure. it's definitely thought it's, you know, even, yeah. even the simplest of meals, it's like, did I pull the meat out of the freezer that lately? That's sure. been my biggest thing. Like, gosh, darn it. I didn't plan ahead. Didn't yeah. Plan ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Food is, is super trendy right now too. And so it's part of conversation and it's card. It can just leave you feeling like not only did you not get the meat out, it just, I didn't put enough into it. Like where yeah. do we find that we can be enough around food Right. and parents, parents are in the thick of that, you know? Yeah. Well, so, yeah. And in the positive discipline books, and I know a lot of my listeners have read many of them. And if you've read the, especially, I don't think that she talks so much about it as in the main book or in the teen book, but in the zero to three book, as well as the preschool book, Jane Nelson ta includes eating with sleeping and pottying and says, you can't make them do it. These are the things that we can't force them to do. Right. And it's this place Absolutely. ripe for power struggles yeah. and for a controller like me, holy cow, do I engage. <laughs> So what are your thoughts about oh. that? Like control inside of, even as you say, challenges are, oh my, you know, they come and they say, my kids won't, don't like the food I eat without even trying it. Or I make, they're picky eaters. Where does control live? Oh, it lives big in my mm -hmm. home too. Yeah. yeah. I have two kids and uh, they are lovely humans and we still are dancing the dance all the time. And I know professionally, and I know through working with families to do it. What I, what I need to do. And it's still uh, an ongoing practice. It's a journey. Yeah. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I definitely think, uh, agree wholeheartedly with Jane Nelson and, and other professionals like Ellen Satter that, that you can't force a child to become a healthy eater. Um, you know, what you can do is really focus on belonging and significance and influence and how that child shows up at the dinner table or in the kitchen. And that's what you can do. But learning to eat is like a developmental stage, uh, like, like other developmental processes, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, when we're, when the babies are infants, we give them this grace. So they're, they're nursing and they have kind of a tongue thrust. So their tongue pushes out of their mouth and mm -hmm. developmentally we understand, okay, they haven't learned to pull food into their mouth yet or to chew. Mm -hmm. So we give them a lot of grace, right? Mm -hmm. When they're infants. And then when they get older and they learn to pull food back into their throat and swallow and chew, all of a sudden we expect grand things of them, right? So they're developmental. They've learned to eat. We're done. We've arrived. But the truth is it's a much longer process than that. Mm -hmm. Once they learn to chew and swallow, we're still in some developmental processing. And we also know that kids, you know, they need an adult to really be there to guide them for that um, and not forcing them and pressuring them to do that. Yeah. And that's all supported by research, right? The yeah. more we force them, the the harder we make our Thing. The controlled feeding practice is the uh, kind of literature, nutrition literature term for what you're talking about. Controlled yeah. feeding practice. Yeah. Well, and not to mention, we're not going to go here, but not to mention how personally we take everything. Like I have had the words oh. come out of my mouth where I say, I don't make gross food. 
This podcast is sponsored by Factor. Are you old enough to remember TV dinners? They came in those tin trays and each part of the meal had its own little compartment. I remember eating those and watching Happy Days, followed by Three's Company, maybe a little Laverne and Shirley. I am that old. Well, the situation has been totally upgraded by Factor. Factor makes delicious, ready-to-eat meals. And unlike those quick meals of the past, every Meal from Factor is fresh, never frozen, chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including meals that are calorie smart, protein plus, and keto if that's your thing. Also, there's more than 60 add ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. In my last order, we got red chicken chili, tamale bowls, and Italian sausage pizza casserole, as well as other delicious meals that my family loved. Plus, there's breakfast and smoothies and all sorts of other add-ons to make life simpler while also keeping it healthy. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. They've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Right now, head to factormeals.com slash joyful50 and use code joyful50 to get 50% off. That's code joyful50 at factormeals.com slash joyful50 to get 50% off. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. So, (laughs) you know, and they're just looking at me like, well, I'm still not going to eat it. Um, Tell me a little bit about what you call the division of responsibility and feeding. What is that? Is that what you were just mentioning or is that something more? A little bit. Yeah. Jane, uh, or excuse me, Ellen Satter's work is she's the one that um, has worked with the division of responsibility and feeding and kind of came up with that terminology. And what it is, is really kind of defining the roles of the parent or the child when it comes to eating. And uh, what we're talking about here is more in the short term, you know, our long term goal, which Ellen Satter also talks about is to help children become competent eaters. And by that, Mm -hmm. I mean, they would have the skills and the knowledge and the ability to prepare food and eventually live out of your home and make wise choices. That's Mm -hmm. our long term goal. In the short term, when we're feeding them multiple times a day, the parent is responsible for the what, 
when and where the child eats. And I kind of have a little extension of that that I add on to Ellen Satter's work. I think the parent is also responsible for maintaining connection with mm-hmm. the child around food. So the parent's responsible for what the child eats, when and where, and the relationship. Mm-hmm. And the child is responsible for whether they want to eat or not and how much they'll eat. Oh, and so it's hard. When <laughs> we, oh boy, is it. And that's where we get into power struggles, right? Yep. Yep. When we blur the lines between those responsibilities, that's when we start to struggle. So taking a step back and uh, making sure we're doing our job and they're doing their job. And often we get into that power struggle because our kid's not doing what we want them to do. We want them to eat it. Right. 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 So we, I trust you. I trust you to listen to your body. Yeah. And why aren't you eating? Yeah. Like you need to eat. Please listen oh to your gosh, body. So and, and why do we do that? Right. Because if we don't, if they don't eat, they're going to be cranky. And that's right. really fun for us. Um, you know, we also get wrapped up in whether or not they eat because we have a schedule. Like mm-hmm. now is the time to eat because in 10 minutes we have to leave for piano or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we also, there's a lot of self-perception around that. Like, yeah. You need to eat that because then I'm a good mom or a good yeah. dad. You know, I've taken care of you. Um, or if you if you eat too much of that, you're going to get obese. If you mm-hmm. don't eat enough of that, you're going to have cancer, right? So it's, oh boy, we get wrapped up in a tangle for yeah. sure. And I'm and hearing, for a lot of yeah, I'm hearing, which is a theme for me, I'm hearing surrender. Mm-hmm. You know, such a huge theme on the journey and letting go and trusting that they like, this is something that's showing like self-preservation is alive. They don't want to be hurting. They don't want to feel bad. Right. We have to trust that they want what's best for them as well. Right. And even as I say that I'm recognizing like, right. And I need to create space because often what gets in my way is, well, you might know, what's best for you, but I really know what's best for you. Absolutely. And as adults, you know, with food, it's tricky, Casey, because sometimes that's true with the younger children. They don't developmentally understand the connection between what they're eating Mm -hmm. and their health outcomes, right? Like Mm -hmm. we get, we know that as adults and, and older kids, but we need to help guide them in that because we do have knowledge. On the other hand, we don't want to instill fear in them. About, right. about that, right? And around that. So um, yeah, it is a definitely letting go and trusting. This is a, a model of trust and it's trusting yourself as well that you are doing enough, that yeah. you are showing up and that what you're providing your child is you can feel good about it. Yeah. And sometimes when we, you know, dive into our kids about, well, I want you to eat that. I wish you we need to take that step back, surrender from what happening is happening from the child and really reflect on ourselves. What's happening for us? Mm-hmm. You know, why, um, you know, maybe the truth is we're thinking, gosh, it's my job to decide what they're going to eat. And I'm really not showing up here, mm-hmm. but that's not my child's problem. That, that is something I need to address for myself. And we get, we get kind of muck, in the muck on that. You yeah, know, I don't feel good about myself, so I'm going to be upset with you for not, not 
doing it, making oh, yeah. it happen. That's so true. Oh. That's so spot on. And something that happens for me and is currently happening is um, my teenager is she drinks coffee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I drink coffee. Somehow this has happened. I don't know how it happened. It started to happen with like every once in a while. And now like she's, it's daily. And I am like so spun out about it. And even today, you know, I was like, okay, we got to I got to nip this in the bud. And and I got online. I was like, I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to offer because I just did another great podcast with somebody else yesterday about teens. And because you said we have knowledge and so mm-hmm. where I'm going with this is, and how we deliver it matters, oh, clearly. Yeah. Um, yep. And so I get online and I'm like, okay, caffeine and teenagers, like what are all the terrible things that happen? And you know what? A hundred mm-hmm. milligrams of caffeine a day is okay. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, it's yeah. actually okay. You know? Yeah. And so, and that was so empowering, one for empowering for me. Right. To read that and realize like, okay, I don't need to be such a freak because part of it is also like, what kind of mom am I that my 15 year old, well, she'll be 15 tomorrow. My 15 year old will drinks coffee every day. Like, what does that say about me? And then like, okay, actually, plus I'm totally critical. I'm totally judgmental of her, which she's receiving and responding to, by the way. Yeah. And you know, just realizing, okay, not only does knowledge empower her, but knowledge is empowering me. Absolutely. And, you know, that knowledge where she's going to get that knowledge from is, Mm -hmm. is the base of all of that, Casey, because if she can get the knowledge from you, Mm-hmm. that's where we want her to, you know, you're often talking about kids coming back to you and you yeah. being open and willing to hear that and discuss it. And that's the pivotal moment, right? Because if they get that knowledge from society or from their friends, they are going to actually drink more caffeine mm-hmm. in the form of, you know, um, energy drinks or yeah. Starbucks grande lattes mm-hmm. and whatnot. And, um, you know, I will, I want to clarify just to to be super clear that the 100 milligrams of caffeine, uh, because your child is a teenager, right. she can, yes. her body yeah. can handle that, right? Thank so you. under age 12, I would definitely say no. kids do not need to be drinking caffeine. Right. In, Thank you in, for that. Yeah. So I just need to, but I also think, you know, caffeine is a funny thing. We, we love it. I'm a coffee drinker. I'll say drinker, not adult well, because Pacific it's Northwest too, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, we don't need it. It's not right. a nutrient. There's, right. there isn't a minimum requirement for caffeine, uh, physiologically right um and it does have some physiological effects on us like Mm -hmm. increasing our heart rate once we drink a certain amount um you know increasing our blood pressure and with a teenager there's a real learning opportunity there Mm -hmm. and uh you know you can give that range of 85 to 100 milligrams to an older child and say hey let's tease this apart what what actually has that much in it Mm -hmm. you know if i drink a soda a day, or if you'd go to Starbucks and you have two choices, what would be best for your body? Right. And really, you know, inviting them to make those discoveries is yeah. often the ticket. If, yes. if we share the information, <laughs> then it often doesn't work. Right. Versus like, 
it, my other approach, which is like, listen, it's science. So you need to stop, <laughs> right? It's so not right. helpful. So not helpful. Right. Thank you for that little right. side note yeah. that we get to. And um, I get to look at my own behavior. I mean, oh, I drink coffee. Absolutely. My husband drinks coffee. Like that's part of our morning routine. So yeah. Yeah. Again, and surrendering. And and the other thing too is, um, I'm just going to use, take advantage right now of my own situation. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. she doesn't seem to think she's hungry for breakfast. Sure. Granted, she's up and out the door early. Yeah. And yeah. so um, part of me is like, it's coffee's fault. <laughs> mm, it's, it's a curiosity, right? Like, yeah. I wonder what, I wonder if that weren't part of her system. And we do yeah. know that, you know, putting some liquid into the body in the morning gives, um, kind of a satiety effect mm. and um, teenagers are figured they've figured that out, right? Like, yeah. Oh, I can get by just on this. That's enough. Right. And I admittedly think we do that as adults totally. as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and for an older child until it's personally meaningful for them to mm. experience how their day is different without food, it's the behavior change is less likely Right. So personally I think personally meaningful. Yeah. That yeah. is I'm writing that phrase down. <laughs> well, and you you said it beautifully, Casey. It's modeling. They yeah. you know, if they watch us drink a cup of coffee and never eat a bite of food and then they're out the door, mm -hmm. they that's what they're learning. They learn what they live, right? Yeah. And so um yeah, they'll have that personal experience and along the way as long as you can stay connected with them mm -hmm. and say i hear you wow that must not have felt very good to to not um you know be awake in class or whatever it might be for an older child i wonder what that could be about hmm let's look into that yeah you know, and let them it shouldn't be like maybe it's the coffee right <laughs> I'm pretty sure if you just drink coffee, your grades would go up. It, it, we, we go to illogical places, yeah, right? Yeah, totally, totally. Hey, friends. Just popping in here to let you know about a brand new offer from Joyful Courage. Let me know if this sounds familiar. I yell at my kids every morning. It's the only way to get them out the door. The minute they get home from school, the battles begin. Homework, chores, screen time, all of it. Bedtime is a nightmare. I end up being so angry that I don't even want to tuck them in. My kids just don't seem to care. They act like they don't hear me. This is not who I thought I would be as a parent. Friends, we all get caught up in overwhelm. And because of that, I created Chaos to Calm. It's a video training to transform your home. Each part of this program includes a short video and a worksheet to guide you in both reflecting on your personal experience and creating action steps for moving you and your child forward. I know without any doubt that you can replace your current overwhelm with peace and connection in your home. I know how difficult finding time and space for yourself can be. And so I worked really hard to create something that won't add to the overwhelming time crunch that may already exist in your life. If you're interested in registering for the program or finding out more, go to www.joyfulcourage.com slash chaos, www.joyfulcourage.com slash C-H-A-O-S. So I have a couple other little questions that I know have come up in the Joyful Courage community and that sure. I hear from clients. 
around food stuff. And I know that there's all sorts of things that are inside of it and we're not going to solve all the world's problems on this podcast, but I would just love to know from someone who this is your focus. What do you think about before bed snacks? What happens when our kids are hungry before bed? What should we do? I think it really depends on timing. And then we go back to that division of responsibility mm-hmm. in feeding because it's the parent's job to decide what, when, and where. And then we also have to look at the child's developmental stage. You know, for a, a school-age child, if they get home um, and they're hungry and your family eats early at 5 o'clock and they go to bed at 8 o'clock, that's a, that's a three-hour window. Mm-hmm. It may be appropriate for them to have a snack before bed. If your family eats at seven o'clock and the child goes to bed right after that, then it wouldn't make a lot of sense that they would have had time to get hungry again. Mm -hmm. So I think a little bit is depending on the schedule and that is something that the parent can kind of set up. It is Mm -hmm. appropriate for children to eat a meal and be hungry two to three hours later. And I often give parents permission to close the kitchen you know mm-hmm. it's it's your space and that's where you get to set the structure and the kindness and the firmness you know mm-hmm. our kids we've eaten and now the kitchen is closed mm-hmm. we'll eat again in the morning um, but the other part I love to throw in about snacks is snacks and meals need to be nutritionally equivalent a snack is not a snack food so if your child is going to need a snack before bed that needs to include something from the produce section, you know, a fruit or a vegetable, Mm -hmm. and then maybe something with protein or fat. Protein and fat are our satiety nutrients. They Mm -hmm. keep us feeling full. Um, So if you have a schedule where bedtime snacks come into play, they are nutritionally equivalent to the meal. They're not a um, bag of chips or a bowl of ice cream. Right. We do banana, like my go-to is you can have a banana. Yeah. Yeah. And offering them some choice around that is Mm -hmm. really that part about giving them belonging and significance. Right. Right. Um, Even creating uh, like what's I think I just was talking to somebody about this, but creating like let's brainstorm together. What are what are snacks that are okay to have before bed? Post it so that when it becomes Mm -hmm. I want a snack, you get to say, great, go look at your list and pick something. And absolutely. And I think there's another step that that can go to say, you know, you can break it down by by days of the week, because what you don't want them is hemming and hawing over the list. Well, mm-hmm. I think I'll try this. And, the, you know, it's you may pick two items or tonight we're offering bananas and cashews. Oh, you know, yeah. it's, so the parent really can set up some structure around that. Okay. And then it's not um, cloudy. You know, oh, could I just have a bowl of cereal or could I have, right. you know, and I, I really encourage parents to avoid the question, what would you like for snack? Right. That right. opens a floodgate. And then we just end up getting frustrated. And when we get frustrated, we lose our connection with our child. Yeah. Yes. What about yeah. thank you bites? Thank you, Bites. You know I what that is, right? A, I do, and I am not a fan. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you why, Casey. It's um, Thank you, Bites are a um, an encouragement to the child to at least try something, mm-hmm. right? So that they at least show some gratitude for the meal that was prepared. Um, and especially when you're visiting someone else's home, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Right? You don't want to ignore Seem the fact ungrateful. that someone... 
Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And um, the reason I'm not a fan of Thank You Bites is because it is a parent imposed consumption of food. Mm-hmm. We really need to let these children dive into their internal hunger and satiety cues. You know, what does it feel like to be hungry? What does it feel like to be full? What does it feel like to trust your body if your body is saying, I don't think I can eat that? Mm-hmm. And with gratitude or thank you bites, sometimes we are asking them to try something that might even feel scary to them. Mm-hmm. If it's a brand new food, if it's something that looks funny, right? Mm-hmm. To them, that might actually be f- setting up fear around food. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the best thing we can do with a thank you bite is to model behavior of always trying something right and not saying it just saying wow I've never had this before I think I'll try it mm-hmm. and Love that's it. it and it's about me right Got it's it. not about my child yeah so when feel like you're the martyr in your family you're not alone hey this is joanne and brie and we're from the no guilt mom podcast brie we talk to a lot of moms yeah we sure do and if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Ko, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. So parent imposed, what did you say? Parent imposed food intake? Is that what you said? Parent yeah. Imposed yeah. food intake. Yeah. So, so when we're sitting around the table and I encourage, don't forget to take some salad. Mm-hmm. I can do yeah. that, right? You're not telling me I can't do that, right? I am not. It's not a power so, struggle. Right. No, I it's am just saying, say, hey, yeah, this is part of what we eat. What? Yeah, yeah, definitely. What I would do uh, Mm -hmm. is discourage any comments about um, what they need to eat. I love to hear that food would be is served family style. Mm -hmm. And so I think it definitely makes sense for the parents to say tonight we're having salad, um, 
pasta and uh grilled spinach or whatever it might be, mm-hmm. right? And the parent gets to point out all of the items mm-hmm. that are available. Mm-hmm. And then the parent's job is done. You are okay. you have completed your responsibility <sighs> for what, when, and where. And then the child gets to serve themselves and they get to decide what they would like to take, when, and how much. You know, Casey, like when, when we're talking about kids who need feeding therapy, for example, kids who are really have some food issues, mm-hmm. we talk a lot about food exposure. Mm-hmm. And even in, in our regular parenting experience, we do this, that we the research shows us, depending which articles you read, that a child needs to be exposed to a food 10 to 20 times before they accept it as part of their repertoire. Mm-hmm. So... Just putting it on the table, mm-hmm. you can pat yourself on the back and say, I've done my job. They yeah. have exposure. Exposure does not mean tastes. Exposure does not mean licks. Exposure does not mean anything else. Um, you know, in feeding therapy, we might ask the child to touch it or we might ask the child to just put it on their tongue, like mm-hmm. very progressively, slowly. Um, but we do not ask, we'd never force the child to put it in their mouth. So I'm really aware as I hear you and I, and I think about what you're saying, I'm so aware of what is the, the yabats that are happening for me. Yes. Like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do this and I'm going to be transparent and I'm going to tell like, I'm going to own what I have been doing and I'm going to put it out Mm -hmm. there. And I am thinking, oh my gosh, Mm -hmm. but if I don't tell them to have salad, yeah, They're Casey, they might, they might not and eat And then what salad, does that mean, right? Julie? That means, I know, I think it's so that short-term, it's the short-term versus the long-term goals. Yeah. In yeah. the long-term, we want them to be able to say, wow, I'm going to eat that salad. I am hungry and I understand that this is good for my body. Mm-hmm. Not because my mom told me to, yeah. because you're no. not, you're not going to be there. Right. Um, And then the modeling piece, which we've mentioned a couple of times, is huge and creating a family norm. If there is salad on the table, you are doing your job. You're saying this is what people eat. This is food. Yes. Right. And so you're doing your work. That's really important. Um, And some families choose to take all of the items that they're serving family styles, which is a lovely idea and pass everything around. Mm -hmm. Everything goes around in a circle. Right. Or between people so that the child holds the dish. Yeah. And then makes a decision. And what you'll notice over time is that the child may be willing to try it. Um, and our job really is to put it out there and then not talk about it. Let's talk about something else. I also don't recommend talking about, um, you know, grades or, or bad things that are happening. Mm -hmm. Food, you know, the joyful time at the table is the time to talk about our lives and our day and how we're doing and to decompress. It is not a time to get into a battle about food or who's eating what. Yeah. So, okay. And you got to get uncomfortable, Casey. It's going to be really hard. It's sitting on your hands and biting your tongue and mm, it's tough. Yeah. Well, and that's what I'm like. I'm like, okay, okay. So, um, yes. And I get, I get to choose, like, I'm just being, I want to be really transparent for what's happening for me right now in case it's helpful for our listeners. Like Uh I get to decide how going into this experience, if it's going to be really a lot of work and really heavy 
or if I or if I'm going to choose into like, yes, what a nut. This is what joyful courage means to me. It's rejoicing yes. in that opportunity for personal growth and development through parenting. Like that's what this is. I get to practice mm-hmm. one, one practice what I preach um, yeah. Two, really trusting that this is the, the long-term versus the short-term. And I'm going to go into this, like not, Oh God, it's going to be so annoying, but really like, all right. Yes. I don't have to be on anybody's case about what they're eating. Thank you. Yeah. Well, and Casey, that's it. This approach, not only does it work long-term in developing these healthy eating habits, Mm -hmm. it is so freeing for parents. Yes. Imagine all of the time you can get back that you could put into cooking home-cooked meals or, or to doing other things that are important to you if you let all of that energy that you're using up in food battles, if you, if you can let that go and just say, my job is to say, we're sitting at the table. We're not going to have any screens at our table. We're not going to answer the telephone. We're going to sit here and here is the nourishing food I've prepared for us. Or sometimes here's the takeout I picked up because Mm -hmm. that's the best that I could do. And that's absolutely fine and wonderful. And Um, I love that what, what also gets taken away is one less opportunity for us to send the message that somehow they're wrong or not good enough or not capable, Mm -hmm. you know, and that judgmental piece, we don't have to be with anymore. So I am feeling, I'm feeling really good about this. Can we have a follow-up call, Julie? Absolutely. (laughs) I'd love to know how it goes. Well, I will definitely, definitely share for sure. And I know I have one more, I have another little thing that comes up and I'm, I'm, already 100% sure I know how you're going to respond to this. But sometimes parents find themselves making more than one meal or it becomes, well, if they don't want what I'm making, they have to be the ones to get up and make themselves a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So what do you think? Right. About that? Right. Again, it's a little bit about where they are age-wise mm-hmm. developmentally. Okay. Um, but I definitely think there is one meal made and this is the family yeah. meal and that is offered. If you're bucking up against that, like, oh, they're not eating what I'm preparing and this isn't working, it might mean they don't have enough influence and significance. Mm-hmm. And so I would really invite them into planning the family meal. Yes, love it. Um, you know, the menu for the week can be a part of a conversation at a family meeting. Um, younger kids love to go shopping. Older kids like to look through recipes online. Mm-hmm. Um Bringing them in in a significant way outside of the mealtime can really help them dive into what is being served so that they're not wishing for something else. I don't think we need to be making separate meals. There is one meal. This isn't a restaurant. Mm -hmm. This is home. Yeah, absolutely. So find another way for them to have influence if they they aren't enjoying what what they're being served. Definitely. So great. So great. Thank you, Julie. Do you have any final thoughts for listeners around this whole piece? Their food is so pervasive. I mean, we're just dealing with it all the time. And my... Um, wish for parents is that we just give ourselves a break a little bit and kind of back up. And food is is so trendy right now and everybody's into food and, and you may not be and it's okay. Your job is to provide food for your child, provide some structure and to love them unconditionally. Mm-hmm. That That's your job. And um, yeah, just embrace that you're doing the best you can and 
own if you need some more knowledge or understanding of how do I cook food? What is healthy food? How do I prepare that? Then own that and seek that out. And um, you can, it does not have to be complicated and it does not have to be gourmet. Um, You know, my child the other day, she took a a radish, just a whole radish as her in her lunchbox. That was her choice. And I thought, well, I didn't really have to prepare that. That was lovely, Mm -hmm. right? So we often think that it's going to be complex, but really I just had to wash off the radish and make sure it didn't have dirt on it. That it was simple, (laughs) right? Love that. Love that. It can be super simple. And then, Casey, the the other last kind of thought I have is um, I really encourage parents to filter out the noise of the judgment around yeah. parenting and food and, and not worry about what other people are going to think um, about your child and about food and let go of some of that fear around, oh, oh, my child's going to have this disease when they're 40 because I let them have a fruit snack, right? So yeah. just just relax into it a little bit and trust that we're all on a journey and we're yeah. going to feed them well. Yeah. yeah. Oh, thanks. I feel so much better after this conversation. <laughs> so in the context of all that we have discussed today, what does joyful courage mean to you, Julie? Oh, so many things in in the context of, of food and nutrition. Um, I joyful courage to me is, is the invitation to kind of live boldly with your Mm. own truth. It's the courage to like hold tight to your own convictions and your own values for your family and your children. And that to do that in a joyful way, I see joy as, you know, joy is like this long lasting good feeling, right? And to kind of go with that long lasting good feeling about living your values and your truth, that is joyful courage. Mm -hmm. It is, yeah, it's okay to be different than someone else or to maybe not be what might be the norm for your family history and to do it with passion and love and connection. That's the joyful part of it. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much for all you do. Yeah. For families and kids, where can listeners find you and follow your work, Julie? Yeah. Thank you, Casey. I am not on social media. I know. (gasps) Not yet. (laughs) So in my practice, I am um, really kind of on the ground Mm -hmm. at all times. You know, that's where my work takes place is talking people to people. Uh, That said, in 2018, my goal is to step into the digital world. So uh, your listeners can find me on my website, Mm -hmm. which is www.harmonious.com table.net and they can also email me at jmillernutrition at comcast.net and if your listeners have questions please please reach out and when I do get that said digital presence up and running if your listeners would like to email me I'll be sure to let them know when that's live great um yeah yeah and you know if you're in the Seattle area what I tend to do is offer workshops and they tend to be private. So I'll be asked by a particular school. So if you have a parenting group or whatnot, please reach out and let me know. Great. Yeah. Thank Ah. you so much, Julie. Oh, Casey, thank you for creating this space and for all of the work that you do. I'm honored to be part of your conversation. 
Joyful Courage community, you're amazing. Big thanks and love to my team, including my producer, Chris Mann at Podshaper. Be sure to join in the discussion over at the Live and Love with Joyful Courage group page, as well as the Joyful Courage business page on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe to the show through Apple Podcasts or really anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. You can view the current Joyful Courage swag over at the webpage, intention cards, bracelets, e-course offers, the membership program, one-on-one coaching. It's all waiting for you to take a look. Simply head to www.joyfulcourage.com slash yes. That's joyfulcourage.com slash Y-E-S to find more support for your conscious parenting journey. Any comments or feedback about this show or any others can be sent to Casey at joyfulcourage.com. I personally read and respond to all the emails that come my way. Reach out, take a breath, drop into your body, find the balcony seat and trust that everyone is going to be okay. Real truth alert, pregnancy, birth, and having a baby isn't all sunshine and rainbows. I wish it were, but the reality is that many people struggle and suffer through this time without the right help or even knowing what they're dealing with. I'm perinatal psychologist, Dr. Katayun Kayani, also known as Dr. Kat. My podcast, Mom and Mind, aims to shine a light on the difficult reality that so many hopeful and new parents experience and raise the volume on how we can better support mental health, which is a big part of our overall health. Episodes include personal stories from people who have healed through things like pregnancy and postpartum anxiety, depression, PTSD, and so much more. I also talk with specialists and experts who explain and educate on these conditions. All of this to support parents to know that they are not alone, that healing is possible, and there are resources that can help you today. Listen into Mom and Mind and walk with me through the world of perinatal mental health.